Coming up this hour, we're going to uh, talk to K.P. Yohannan from Gospel for Asia, and then we're going to reflect upon Ravi Zacharias and the news he put out there this weekend. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good. Happy Monday. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. Glad to have you joining us. Uh, as always, find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can find us online, 1160hope.com, and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we really are grateful for everyone who does that. Ian, happy Monday. How was your weekend? A nice Mother's Day. How was? Uh, how did everything go in the Simpkins house? Well, yeah, you were mentioning before we went live, it was sort of a bummer in terms of weather day. I feel like mm-hmm. our moms, our moms deserve better than that. I don't know where to file a complaint. <laughs> regarding uh midwest weather yeah it was it was great i mean we just we got a lot of downtime you know i we still have a lot of services on sunday so i'm monitoring you know our live stream chats and whatnot so we we tried to really dedicate saturday to kind of be like an all mom's day and of course okay. my wife was always thinking about other people she took part in a uh like a baby shower parade thing for some women in her small group and that was great. And then we got some food from one of our local restaurants here that we love most called Allegory. And that was delightful. We've been watching a show. I won't mention which show for like, I'm certain everyone will judge me for watching it. So we'll just say <laughs> we watched a show together. And uh, and then we had a lot of Sunday together, too. It was, it was great. Your your wife's birthday lands close to Mother's Day, though, right? Yeah, it's this upcoming Friday. And uh, so I'm in I'm in like. How how can I make this a special birthday while, you know, in the circumstances we are currently in? So that's what we got. I have the advantage, though, because as you know, you did such a good job pointing out to everybody. My birthday was last Monday. Mm-hmm. And so her and I's birthday is falling so close. She's got the pressure of going first on the celebration here. Oh, uh, nice. But yeah, but no, I do come close to Mother's Day and birthday come close. We did like you did. We uh, we got some good food and enjoyed ourselves. And then she's like, I want to watch a movie. And you know what she chose? Kung Fu Panda 3. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That is she's not like, what we we're watching, like, by the way. We're like, it is your day. Uh, people are judging me for another reason of watching Kung Fu Panda 3. No, 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 no uh, judgment, man. It's her day. Whatever she wants goes. I'm fine with that. That's what we said. So it was good. And a uh, random church question. When you say, I know that you're through the services you're monitoring like you said the chat room and interacting with people are you doing that from like your basement or do you have to go like you have to go into the church oh uh, no no, no. Like, we're, all doing that from our, we're doing that from our respective homes what we discovered okay. in the first couple of weeks of this is that it was sort of anything goes and so all the all the staff were kind of weighing you know you'd have one service that had a ton of staff people and then others that That's were right. so we kind of divided it up they put together a, a remarkable schedule uh, for who monitors when, what services. And one of the roles is external host where you're like in the live chat. And the other role is more the private host where if people are sharing specific things that pertain to your campus, you're like having private conversations with them about right. how, you, how you can serve them, how you can pray for them, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like, you know, pastoring. It, it feels, it's still very digital, obviously, but it feels like the chance we have to really interact with, yes. our, with our churches and the people that we miss so much. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I love Sunday. Morning. I I can't wait till we're not doing it online solely, but but because we have to, uh, our church we we tape it on Saturday, so that's kind right. of like a you know it takes us a while in the morning. Wait, and it's then, not live, Brian. But it 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 appears. Should I not be saying <laughs> this right now? 
And so then uh, it goes Facebook premiere and YouTube premiere. So they look live. And so we have everyone watching at the same time. And so it's really fun to like, well, A, it's weird to watch yourself, you know, yeah, what you've already it. done. But then it's just fun to interact with people. Like, you you know, uh, the comment section really does, doesn't it kind of feel like uh, it's like a digital foyer, you know, at your church. You're just well, it's interesting, too. We weren't really planning on talking about this. Nope. But the other thing I was sharing with my wife is that we actually chat during the service a whole lot more in this forum than we do when we were in yeah. person. You're not like sharing back and forth like, oh, I liked that point or, oh, man, that song really touched me. You're not doing that when you're gathered right. in person. So it, it provides a really unique and we, you know, have formed the messages around like having really intentional moments of interaction, like type this in the comments or go get something from your your house, like trying to incorporate some physicality as much as we can. But it's really, really interesting to see the stuff that resonates, the videos that we make, like what they, yeah. you know, our arts team put together this brilliant Mother's Day video and everyone's like, this is the best thing ever. Like <laughs> just to get that real time feedback was lovely. Yeah, we did that Mother's Day thing at the end of the service where we had uh, I felt a little bad for some of the dads because they got multiple emails, but we had dads send in videos of their kids and, and we surprised all the moms with it. That's great. And uh, But if a dad ignores our emails and his kids weren't in the video, his wife sure knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> you have like cardboard cutouts for the dads that didn't exactly. submit. Exactly. Like, hey, you were, you were asked on multiple occasions. <laughs> right. right. Well, uh, starting off every show, we do like to give a little update on what's going on with the coronavirus. And uh, we're all still sheltering in place and staying at home. A uh, lot of uh, conversation going around. I don't know if you saw, I was unable to, to link it because of subscription stuff. But the Chicago Tribune, I'd encourage you all to read an article that, that there was an editorial today that basically said, I want to be really cautious, yet it still feels like we're moving the goalpost. It was a really interesting take, I thought. Hmm. Um, but coming out today, uh, as of yesterday, Illinois' COVID-19 death toll dipped below 100 for the first time in five days. So that was, uh, I believe, yesterday. It might have been Saturday. Uh, wondering when you hear that, does that give you some hope? I know 100 deaths is still a lot, but... Uh, hearing that 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 it actually started to decrease, what's the first emotion that gives to you? Oh, I, I don't think I could identify a first emotion. It's it's so intertwined because, like you like you mentioned, that's still a massive number. Those are still real lives. Those are husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, neighbors, friends. You know what I mean? Like it's those are yep. those are people. So that's really 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 hard to keep hearing numbers like that but it does give me some hope though that we're trending in the right direction which is ultimately what, yeah. what we hope for how are you navigating things just personally obviously there's too much stuff to read out there but as we talked about last week things are starting to get occasionally heated like they do on facebook between yeah. people about the we should open up versus the we should not do anything different crowds and then everything in between how do you even find i'm not even asking what do you think but how do you even navigate that and maybe tell us what you do think right now uh navigating it i i mean it's you're applying the same principles that you we've talked about this on the show before even how you how important self-awareness is to be mindful of your own confirmation biases your own echo chambers and all of that. But I think part of what's so tricky about this, it's not just sort of a benign opinion that's being held out in cyberspace. Like the differences of opinions could potentially cost people lives or yeah. their livelihood or both or neither. That's why even like how the different states are handling uh, right. the coming weeks is being so hotly debated because it's not just, oh, we disagree on this ideology. Like, no, 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 there's potential 
for some real risk on both sides and people disagree with what the best way forward is, you know, I, I uh, we've mentioned it a number of times, like I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an economist. So I want to like consistently remind myself, we were talking about Dunning-Kruger effect last week, like right. remind myself like, hey, you're not the expert here. So read faithfully, uh, pray consistently, listen to voices, invite people that disagree with you. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're still making the best decisions we can for our family and for our church family and uh, and just praying that we're doing our best to stumble towards the right direction, you know? That's good. I felt smart this weekend because I dropped a Dunning-Kruger effect on somebody. And uh, <laughs> were they impressed? It, it, uh, it, yeah, they were impressed. They're like, ooh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, other tidbit of news as we close up this segment, Governor Pritzker uh, they had a top aide test positive for COVID-19, so he's now working from home. Yeah. Uh, and then the same thing's going on in the White House, trying to, uh, what was it, The uh, somebody high up uh, and in, in uh, Vice President Pence's side, uh, tested positive this weekend. And so the COVID is getting into uh, even the highest places of government. They're having to wrestle with what to do. Uh, so definitely confusing times, times uh, with lots of opinion. And uh, we hopefully, as Ian, I think, just said so well, uh, be uh, be not just rational, but also be prayerful through this. Well, coming up next, we're excited to talk to KP Yohannan. KP is the founder and the director of Gospel for Asia and has a new book coming out called Never Give Up. We're going to talk to KP coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're really happy to have you joining us today. Uh, as always, find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. And uh, one of the things we really enjoy doing on this show, and especially during this time where a lot of us are isolated from one another, is to bring on other voices uh, and to bring on other people. And with that, uh, we are excited to be joined right now by KP Yohannan. KP, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's a joy and privilege to be with you and, and have this time of conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. KP, would you, uh, if you don't mind, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm the uh, uh, founder and um, international director of uh, Gospel for Asia. We are known as GFA. And uh, this is the 40th year of um, our uh, mission. Um, and what we do is... Um, focus on the 1040 uh, window um, countries where outsiders are uh, totally restricted or closed to come into any mission work. So we train uh, workers from their own countries to evangelize and plant churches um, in their culture and near culture and cross-culturally. And by God's grace, we have so far established over 12,000 uh, congregations that are well established um, and they continue to reach out to the neighboring communities and we have our U.S. headquarters uh, here near uh, in the suburb of Dallas um, with some 150 some people that serve the Lord on the behalf of uh, the missionaries and uh, church planters in 16 nations right now. 
Hmm. So, Dr. Yohannan, I, I read that you just released a book, and I'm reading a, a review about that book called Never Give Up, and they called the book Brutally Honest. What What would be the reason they would call that book Brutally Honest? Well, the reason is, um, <clears throat> you know, you know, the genius of prayer uh, that is known for 2,000 years, you know, Lord Jesus Son of God, have mercy on me, uh, the sinner. Uh, the the longer we journey with the Lord, uh, the older we get. Like I'm now, almost seventy. Um, we realize how fragile and weak and failing human beings we are, and there's no reason to pretend. And um, in my life journey, in the last four years, uh, we've been through what I call. Um, the horrible uh, forest fire of grief, fear, and pain uh, for the um, unbelievable amount of um, attack on us, which began with radical fundamentalists uh, engineering it um, and uh, people picking it up in the United States. Um, And... um, it's been extremely painful, and I was um, so discouraged sometimes. I just wanted to give up everything and and mm-hmm. even walk away from my own life. And um, but um, you know, it's you know, I went to seminary for nearly six years, and I think it's an honest thing to say I was possibly one of the best lawyers you can find to defend the evangelical Protestant faith and fight for God. Uh, but uh, it was 15 years ago I began to realize that um, everything in my head um, was absolutely perfect in knowledge and understanding, but my heart was not experiencing the reality of the living God. And especially mm-hmm. last four years, it was an opportunity for me to really uh, understand um, as Hank Hanegraaff wrote in his uh, book, the title, Truth Matters, Life Matters More. Uh, God is someone not to be understood, rather experienced, and he's real. And so I, I talk about my life and journey and difficulties and pain, uh, not fighting to defend myself um, uh, with the people that cause so much pain and agony for me. Um, and that, that's the reason I think people are talking about uh, this being, you know, just being very human uh, and honest. Um, that I uh, have become, yes, go ahead. Yeah. I, I, as you, that's such a good question about when, when we ask God, where are you and never giving up to somebody out there uh, who is, feeling that right now? Like, I do want to give up. What's one or two words of encouragement or advice you'd give them so that they, maybe they don't give up? Um, I, I would say the most important thing is, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, um, keep your focus. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, all the time and uh, look at the cross not just for understanding, but in reality of the suffering and pain he went through um, and realized that 
what we experience is only a tiny, tiny um, superficial um, fraction of that to understand the meaning of Christ uh, suffering for us and um, letting his cross into our um, uh, pain um, make the bitter water sweet. Uh, that I found. Uh, the other thing is um, realize that you cannot uh, fulfill God's plan or serve him in this life without suffering. And mm-hmm. this is not um, um, something to avoid, but um, uh, rejoice that we are given the privilege to partake in his suffering and uh, reaching the lost world and living for the Lord and um, seeing the family um, that you have, um, know the Lord. Everything takes suffering, uh, fasting and praying and giving up things um, uh, that we want uh, for the sake of the kingdom and things like that. So that that's my mm. um, advice. Uh, of course, the Word of mm. God uh, is so powerful and living. Uh, it energizes us in the midst of uh, such crisis, giving us empowerment mm. uh, to uh, live for the Lord. Hmm. I, want, I want to ask you about something you just said back there with like the minute or so we have left. I hear people a lot of times talking about how we can like, you know, survive suffering or withstand suffering or endure suffering. But what you said about we can't fulfill the purposes of Christ without suffering. Can you speak just a little bit to, to that notion, why, why that's so important to you? Well, you know, um, the Western theology or the evangelical Protestant theology is um, we are the center of everything. Christ is so helpless. And as C.S. Lewis said, um, now God is in the dark. And um, uh, this this is the opposite of the uh, true gospel. And in that, uh, you find... Um, uh, our worst enemy is not Lucifer and billions of demons. It is our own self-centeredness. And Jesus came not only to forgive our sins and redeem us, but to deliver us from our own selves, which is the beginning of the beginning of a long journey of uh, theosis or uh, partaking of the divine nature. Uh, second Peter chapter 1 verse 4, and without dying to self and suffering, um, if I will ask somebody a question, uh, when was the last time you spent um, 20 days fasting and prayer? Or do you have a habit of spending at least an hour or two in prayer? Uh, do you, you know, simple questions you ask. Uh, when half of the world go to bed with empty stomach and naked bodies, uh, how come we so freely uh, live um, by praying and living ending that we are to be Christ now in our generation. Now to do that, it is going to take, say, not to myself, which is suffering in the flesh. In Second Peter, when he talks about uh, Jesus suffered for us, leaving this example that we, we may follow in his footsteps. It is not talking about the cross, the blood, the nail. No, it is daily choice of dying to um, and denying uh, myself, which is suffering. 
and that's a you know that's the reason i mean did you know that a german german who did a phd doing the thesis on the church growth in the united states and he concluded 95% of the church growth in america is church hopping that is people don't like what they hear from a preacher or the seat and the air condition is not good enough carpet is not good they go somewhere else and um um what i'm trying to say uh, is that uh, suffering um is uh, has no meaning by itself because plenty of people suffer in the world but why we suffer why we choose the cross why i choose not to spend 100000 dollars on something and spend 1000 dollars so the rest of the money can go to preach the gospel and so these are choices that cause me hurt and pain and that is suffering i'm talking about Okay, Pete, thank you so much. That was that was a great encouragement. You've been listening to KP Johan, and he's the founder and director of Gospel for Asia, author of the new book, Never Give Up. You can find more info at nevergiveupbook.org. That's nevergiveupbook.org. KP, we are really grateful for the time you took. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings. You too. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us on this Monday afternoon. You could always find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, uh, online at 1160hope.com, and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. We do want, we want to talk about Ravi Zacharias and the hard news that he shared online this weekend. But before we do that, uh, Ian, why don't you tell us about one of our favorite uh, partners here at The Common Good, that being Thrivent. Yeah, Thrivent Financial. Uh, I've been a Thrivent member for seven or eight years. Love Thrivent, not just in terms of their acumen, but also their mission. And you can learn more about their mission and what they're about at Thrivent.com. Uh, they're a Fortune 500 that's been around for more than 100 years. And I, th- I just think they, they're a remarkable organization. Another thing they've been doing a lot of, though, is they've been partnering with other people to provide like helpful webinars, you know, that we're all kind of facing similar things right now. In fact, tomorrow, May 12th at 6.30 p.m., uh, here's the title of the webinar, Five Things You Can Do to Stay pr- Productive and Manage Stress While Working Remote. So I think that's something that I've heard a lot of people, at least in our church, talk about. That's at 6.30 p.m. tomorrow, and uh, we've shared that to our Facebook page. Highly, highely recommend you check that out. Also, if you're looking for a career change, thriveincom slash careers would be a great place to sort of meander a little bit to see if maybe there isn't a great fit for you. So uh, Ravi Zacharias, a lot of people out there, uh, if you've been around the Christian world for a long time or even a short amount of time, you know who Ravi Zacharias is. Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Uh, he's a Christian apologist. Uh, and uh, you've probably seen videos or heard him speak. But recently he was diagnosed with cancer and he began going through treatment. And just this weekend, uh, they shared some hard news that he was recently informed by doctors that his cancer has spread and there's nothing more that they can medically do. And so uh, him and his wife, they shared a picture and um, just kind of their thoughts that, that now basically he's gone home to kind of be with family. And barring a miracle, uh, he, he probably... Uh, it's more about a matter of time rather than if he can be healed uh, again, barring a miracle. And, you know, when you read stuff like that, uh, you, you start to think back uh, your own um, times coming across Ravi Zacharias. I'm wondering in your 
uh, upbringing, Ian, or even recently, uh, is Ravi Zacharias somebody uh, that you were familiar with from a young age? Is he somebody who at all had an impact on you uh, and the way he kind of um, presented the gospel and often would debate people? What was uh, Ravi Zacharias in uh, your upbringing? Yeah, I mean, I was probably introduced to him in high school. Uh, and I have since then, I think probably since then, without fail, I've subscribed to his blog and I get an email once a week from uh, his organization. And I've always respected his uh, his rigor, his love for like very robust intellectual debate. Uh, I don't know him personally. I don't know anyone that I right. know him personally, but he, he certainly was one of the first like like proper intellectual evangelist that I was uh, presented with, I think. That's right. And uh, certainly there's stuff that I disagree with him about, and um, that's not necessarily new, but I, I had always been inspired by his willingness to confront really, really tough questions in a way that felt like it had integrity, even if I disagreed. I feel like a lot of times some of these difficult, more apolog- apologetic questions, the person responding kind of dances and squirms a little bit and he just had right. this, this kind of style to him that uh, at the very least even when I disagreed which I think is saying something I thought like oh I don't think I agree with that conclusion at all but I, I do appreciate the kind of the forthright nature with which he, he tended to address really difficult complex questions. Absolutely. I remember my family grew up out on the East Coast going to some of you might know of a place called Camp of the Woods in upstate New York uh, and they uh, it's your kind of classical Christian camp where you would go and there's lots of fun stuff to do, but then also you'd have chapel every morning, that kind of stuff. And Ravi Zacharias uh, would come for one week every year. And, you know, that would be one of the more popular weeks that people would try to come to. I remember being there once or twice when he was there and just uh, kind of even as a young boy, just kind of being amazed by his uh, a his accent, but B uh, his story and his ability uh, you just heard him and you're like, man, that guy is really, really smart uh, and can really, um, you know, defend the faith and explain the faith. Um, I'm curious, do you feel like are you drawn to that intellectual side of the faith? Does that make sense? Are you drawn to like the we're going to debate the faith or people who do that? Because uh, I, I kind of feel like some people are, but there's are certainly people, some people who are not. OK, so that's sort of two questions. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're asking, am I drawn to the intellectual side of faith and do I like to debate faith? Uh, Very valid point. I don't don't necessarily think they're the same thing. I I have appreciated. I mean, we've talked even about some of our upbringing where there was all sorts of really wonderful, beautiful aspects of it. And then sometimes there were corners where it seemed like it didn't know how to honor the complexities of other belief systems or other ways of thinking. And something that I appreciate about Ravi is, I mean, one, it was it was hard to debate that he wasn't brilliant, but it also, sure. for me, it was a methodology that showed like, oh, you can be the biggest brain in the room and still be decent. You can still mm. speak to people with kindness and respect and dignity. And again, I didn't yeah. know the guy, so I have no idea. I've not seen every lecture and every debate and every Q&A, but it seemed to me like, man, there's a lot of rooms where he might be the smartest dude in there, and it's it he still didn't allow that to drive him to a, a, a piety or a uh, a belittling posture of other people that disagreed. You just, I, I feel like I don't see enough of that in the intellectual community. It feels like a lot of times, like once you achieve a certain level of 
academic scholarship, like yeah. almost like an uh, like an unstated license to to now be mean to people. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's such an unfortunate because the church needs theologians and we need academia and we need scholars. And I, I don't. I'm I'm really really grateful for people like Ravi and people you know that we've had on the show like Stetzer and McKnight right. and Fitch and people who are highly highly equipped and studied and educated and and still have like a real obvious love for people. I just, I appreciate that blending very, very much. So the Christian post, they wrote article, Tim Tebow went on Instagram and really through tears talked about the role that Ravi Zacharias formed, have played in the, uh, his forming of his faith. It got me thinking with the last minute we have here in this segment, uh, put you on the spot. Uh, somebody you've never met who still had a huge role in kind of the formation of your faith growing up. Do you have a moment while you think about, I'll share one again at this camp of the woods. I remember hearing Alistair Begg, who's now on this station. I remember I've never met the man, but he gave some sermons on for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I feel like I understood the gospel more by listening to him, even though I've never met the guy. Is there anyone uh, that comes to mind for you where that kind of thing happened? Yeah, there's a lot of people. I mean, N.T. Wright would certainly fit in that category for me. Henry Nowen, uh, Dallas Willard, Wendell Berry. Th- those are those are people that I've read and stepped back from or heard preach or lecture and thought, I need to go take a nap now. That, that just <laughs> so yeah. rocked my world in a good way. And um, yeah, I, and even just thinking about those names that I listed, I want to do a better job of like reading right. theologians, women theologians, people of color. I think that's, you know, going forward, something that I want to, I want to be more mindful of. Awesome. So be uh, praying for the Zacharias family, uh, thankful for the role that Ravi Zacharias has played in so many people's lives. And we praying for them as they go through this. Well, coming up next, uh, Paul David Tripp. Uh, we're going to listen to some of his words uh, challenging us as parents. That's coming up next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us on this Monday afternoon. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good Mother's Day weekend. Uh, Although uh, we do recognize Mother's Day is difficult for some people, depending on uh, whether it be your relationship with your mother or, you know, pain in your life. So know that we're praying for those uh, specifically for whom Mother's Day is a difficult time. Yeah. you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Find us online, 1160hope.com, and our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Well, on Twitter, uh, found this clip uh, from Paul David Tripp. Paul Tripp is a pastor. He is an author. In fact, he authored a book on parenting, uh, which this clip is going to be about. Uh, and let me just set it up this way. Uh, what Tripp talks about here, he's talking to parents, wanting them to understand that our children are being exposed not just to sexual images, but their their um, the framework by how they view the opposite sex or just think about sexuality uh, is starting at a much younger age than we would ever imagine. And so, what Tripp is going to call for for parents to do is to. Uh, have an open line of dialogue with their kids. So I want you to hear what Paul David Tripp has to say here, and then we'll discuss it. Let's listen to him. If you have a young person raised in Western culture, by the time they're 13 and 14, they're lost in sexual confusion. If they have a cell phone in their hands, and they're 12 years old, what is available to them is shocking. 
I'm about to tell you a story that it will, you will find it hard to believe. Mom and Dad grabbed me at the end of one of these conferences. She's already weeping. Said, can we talk? I said, let's find a quiet place. And the father, mom couldn't talk. The father began to describe a son who seemed already addicted to the darkest forms of pornography. Now I'm thinking, they're describing to me a 17-year-old. I asked the question, how old is your boy? And the mother said, eight. Eight. The damage that had already been done to the identity and the heart and the soul of that boy, eight years old. And wisdom is only found inside of the pages of the Word of God. The beauty of biblical sexuality needs to be understood by children and the danger of all the my way is the best way, I will satisfy my desires however way, how dark and destructive it is. You can't not have that conversation with your children. Dads, look at me. Your boys need you. And they don't need you to have one quasi-embarrassed conversation about the birds and the bees, never to have it again, because you're so glad you'll never have to talk to them again because you find it a little bit weird and creepy. That's failing your sons. You need to be humble and sweet and kind and approachable so you open up a conversation that is ongoing so you become a place where they feel comfortable to talk to about things. It's way deeper than catching your, stu- your children doing stuff and grounding them because they have and teaching them that this is dangerous and stay away. You need to f- help them begin to form an understanding of the holy beauty of this area and the wisdom in all of God's restrictions because everything out there is going to teach them something different. All right, Ian, from that clip, uh, Paul David Tripp really trying to first set the stage uh, that our kids are being bombarded by messages and images uh, through the Internet, through our phones, through television at a much younger age than most of us would like to think that they even are. Uh, is that is is that something that both you've seen and, and you, as someone who's got kids who are really young like yourself, does that worry you as your kids start to get older? No, I don't I don't necessarily think that it worries me. I think there's always an opportunity to help shepherd and coach and instruct your kids for how to navigate an onslaught of information. I think that's always been the case, to be honest. I think the medium obviously has changed. I think the intensity probably has. Uh, part of what I think is interesting, when you look at people more our age, which is late 30s, early 40s, 
I find that sometimes people our age have a greater addiction to technology and advertisement mm. because we were sort of entering adulthood as a lot of the stuff was taking off with my kids. And I could be way wrong. I'm no Andy Crouch. My guess is my kids are so young that by the time that they're facing stuff like the ages of your kids, they, I don't, I don't predict that they're going to have nearly as difficult a time, like breaking some of those more like addictive type patterns. I think, I think there's obviously something new will come probably five new things will happen between now and then Facebook will be an antiquated thing of the past, but I don't know. Like it was just something that I always appreciate about my parents. Uh, and again, we were homeschooled, but it gave us an opportunity to have hard conversations and they always made sure they you know, had an open door policy for how do we navigate difficult realities, regardless of the, to- the topic or the subject matter. And uh, I always really appreciated that posture with us. Yeah. So as someone who uh, you just said, your parents did a good job and you're also were a youth pastor. You're now a pastor. Uh, how would you encourage um, parents to have an open dialogue with their kids? Like, how do you even start that process? Like Tripp said that you need to have this open dialogue with your kids. Uh, do you have any words or any thoughts about how do we even do that? Because that, I know from my own life, but also a lot of uh, especially men that I know, dads, that's a really terrifying thing. So do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I don't think you can go zero to 60 in a day. Mm-hmm. I, I think if that hasn't been kind of a part of the general temperature of your house, you got to start somewhere. But if it, if someone's listening, like, oh, I've never had a conversation with my son at all. You can't kick the door, open, either door open now and say, hey, we're going to get we're gonna get real serious about some big topics. Like, I think you have to right. cultivate a culture, not just of like a policy, but of like warmth and receptivity that they can know, hey, you can bring stuff to me, even maybe stuff that you've done that we've told you not to do. I think how you actually cultivate that is really tough to do because kids understandably are afraid of consequences or looking stupid or, I mean, all the yeah. same stuff that we're afraid of. So uh, to me, that is like you have to consistently be raising the water level of your home and not just having a, you know, a cannonball here or there and hoping, hoping yeah. that they'll respond in turn. Man, that's really well put. I'd love for you to watch uh, the Paul David Tripp video. You could do so uh, at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio. Coming up next, uh, we're going to have a hard discussion uh, about Darren Patrick and his death this past week. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to reflect upon the death of Darren Patrick. Uh, and then we're going to hear from Charlie Dates. That's coming up next on The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're really glad that you're joining us on this Monday evening. Hope that you're having a good day. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. If you go there, you can find the articles that we've talked about, even some things that we haven't talked about. Have a conversation uh, with other people. uh, Give your opinion, all sorts of things. You can also do the same at Twitter at Common Good Talk, at Instagram at Common Good Talk as well. Find old shows online at 1160hope.com. And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and uh, review. Well, Ian, at the end of uh, the week last week, I believe it was during Friday's show, we referenced uh, the tragic death of uh, Darren Patrick. And we didn't really want to get into it because there were still details coming out. Darren Patrick 
former pastor of the Journey Church in St. Louis. Uh, after that, he was a teaching pastor at Seacoast Church in South Carolina. Um, but we, it's a pastor that you and I have referenced a lot of times here uh, on The Common Good. As you've had the weekend to reflect, and then we'll talk some more about it, but uh, I'm sure you spent a lot of time thinking, as most of us, most pastors did, about Darren Patrick's death. Where did your mind, where did your thoughts go? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's really, really heartbreaking. It is complicated as we mentioned before even you know with the passing of jared wilson and we've talked about pastoral depression and mental health and suicide uh, more times than i would have guessed we would have uh, 15 months into the show but the other side that's really tricky to me is i think there have been a lot of well-meaning people in light of darren's passing in particular where people have said things like man sometimes people are sad and you don't even realize it I'm like, no, that's not what that is, though. And I don't know why I feel compelled. It's been interesting even being convicted by people in my own life when I've written about mental health or suicide prevention. And I've been, thankfully, called out by close friends who said, like, hey, I appreciate your writing. appreciate what you're saying. If you had a conversation with somebody about these who has been suicidal or has really wrestled with these things, and when I was, you know, first writing about these things, the answer was no. I was kind of just... Writing from what I thought would be helpful. It's been really, really helpful for me to think through decentering my own narrative and actually like giving voice and space to people who have actually walked a mile in these shoes. And again, people's thoughts and prayers and condolences, that's all really good. And that it is some of the best of even the digital arena where there's so much vitriol to see people coming alongside. And I saw people uh, tweeting Amy after Darren had passed, you know, offering their prayers and support. But it does also kind of show some of the staggering misconceptions about what it is we're talking about. It's not just, oh, man, he was just kind of bummed out that day or, uh, oh, yeah, he he must have been more sad than he was letting on. Like, it's way more enigmatic and complicated and messy than that. And I think a couple of these articles that you've uh, mentioned help kind of shed some light on that, which I think is really helpful. It is. Uh, I remember when you and I had the conversation about Jared Wilson uh, and and his passing. Um, I remember two things stood out to me in that conversation and they, it's, it's so weird because two, it's almost the same two things that stand out to me in this Darren Patrick conversation. Yeah. Uh, and that maybe that's not a surprise. The first is this is the number of people both with Jared Wilson, but now with Darren Patrick who said who were suicidal or were struggling with mental health or were struggling with depression who said Darren Patrick really helped me and he was such an encourager. And I don't know why that struck me so profoundly over the weekend because you're like, man, somebody, maybe it's again a a, a teaching or a reminder that it's often people who are the most wounded who can help those who are the wounded ones, right? Like uh, there's something there. I don't know. Does that strike you uh, that, that that's kind of the message over and over again? Because every time I hear it, it surprises me. But then you hear it more and you're like, maybe this shouldn't surprise me anymore. Well, I don't Have you ever read Nowen's Wounded Healer before? I have not. No, oh, I'm not. My goodness. Anyone who's in any kind of pastoral ministry needs to stop what they're reading right now and go read The Wounded Healer by Henry Nowen. It is phenomenal. And it's a hopeful book. Um, it's simple to short read, but it's, it's exactly that though. And it's, it, it, it does a really good job of helping kind of identify what some of those wounds are and why so many people end up choosing ministry in the first place. Um, but yeah, it, reading now one's wounded healer was, was certainly a, an eye opening experience for me, particularly in light of a lot of these conversations. 
Yeah. I've just, yeah, I don't know why I'm surprised by how much time I've spent thinking about uh, Darren Patrick's death over the last weekend. Like, it's really, I never met the guy. I listened to a lot of his sermons. I have great respect for, you know, a, a great speaker. I read some of his books, but man, I don't know. It, it really hit me this week. And I think it's because, you know, I follow him on Twitter and you see him talking about his kids all the time and you see yeah. this and that. And um, it, it, for somebody who doesn't struggle with these same types of things, I've certainly have my own struggles, but not with these types of things. It None of it makes any sense. And I think that's the point that really we have to take away from this, right? Like, it's what you said earlier. It's never like, well, that guy's really sad right now, so we better be careful. Like, Darren Patrick wasn't, uh, from what most people say in his life, he wasn't at a particular dark moment right, right now. Right. Uh, but it was just this low... Um, it was just in there. Right. And, and he has been very open about it from his uh, his um, when he lost his church at the journey church and his whole restoration process. I heard this tragic thing where uh, Josh Surratt from Seaco said that one of his last conversation with Darren, he said that Darren Patrick said, it just grieves me that every time anybody Googles my name, they're going to see my story. Mm. And you're like, oh, man. And so. Uh, you usually do a better job than I do with this, Ian. So what would you say to the people who are like, this doesn't make sense. He didn't, it doesn't sound like he was sad. What did he have to be sad about? He had a beautiful wife, great kids, uh, a, a church. His his life seemed to actually be on the rebound right now uh, in terms of pastorally and ministry. Uh, you've helped me realize a lot of things, but why don't you help our people uh, process that when they go, wow, this doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, gosh, I- I mean, I'll try my best. First, I am yep. not a mental health professional. Understood. And I've made it really, really uh, a mission in my life to be clear about that and to recognize that I think a lot of pastors have done a lot of damage by not recognizing that. So that's my very big disclaimer. Uh, but the other thing that I've discovered in my own research is that men- mental health stuff doesn't play by the rules. Like we step back mm-hmm. and say, but look at his trajectory. Look at the arc. Look at all the good things he has. That's like, I mean, we, I think we know that that's fundamentally flawed. It's like telling a really wealthy person they have no business being depressed or suicidal. Yeah. How, how many right. how many from Hollywood have we seen really wrestle with some of these demons, which by every metric they should be celebrating? Like you could do and go wherever you want. You're living the height of luxury. If, if, if anything, to me, that at the very least reveals the complexity of mental health issues and shows me that and oftentimes I think Christians are the worst offenders of this, that highly reductionistic approaches and explanations for what's actually going on just aren't helpful. It's why we have professionals. It's why hot takes on Twitter and Instagram don't necessarily help. And they might even be true. And I've been guilty of this myself, to be honest, trying to help provide some framework or some categories or some resources. And the, the longer that I'm in a role of ministry, the more intent I am at like pointing to other people, to the experts that actually know how to kind of untangle these balls of yarn, because it is, it's messy and it's complicated and it doesn't make sense. And a lot of it feels like Ecclesiastes, right? Ecclesiastes is the yeah. book for things not going according to the rules that we played by and some of the discouragement that comes from that. And to recognize that, I mean, mental health and depression and bipolar and these things aren't just like, it's not just being bummed out yes. and it's not just feeling sad about the circumstances that might be a part of it, but it's something in the brain. There's a chemical imbalance. There's something that is uh, creating realities that are in a lot of ways, just 
utterly overwhelming. And Jared Wilson, Darren Patrick, people who have been advocates for the reason I think they advocate for it is because they understand more than most what it's like to walk a mile in those shoes. And and that's really, really, really uh, heartbreaking. And our hearts go out to the family and the church and everyone who knew him. And we just ask that you guys do the same. Absolutely. Be praying for his wife, Amy, and their four kids. Uh, and uh, take this as a time to check up on your friends, right? <laughs> um, how many of Darren Patrick's friends right now are probably going, I wish I could call them. wish yeah, I could check in on sure. them. So. I would encourage you to do that. If you are in a bad spot right now, if you are considering suicide, let me remind you of the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Well, coming up next here on The Common Good, uh, we are going to hear from Charlie Dates, a Chicago pastor uh, who had some uh, really challenging and profound words that we want to share with you. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday afternoon. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk, uh, Instagram at Common Good Talk. I'm sure you can find Ian on TikTok. Uh, you seem like the type of guy who's going to be doing TikTok dances. If you aren't already, I think that's coming soon in your life. Am I right? Am I right about that? I would not let you buy me a lottery ticket. No, absolutely not. No <laughs> way. No way. You can go assert there might be another Ian Simpkins on there. It is not me. Doing TikTok dances. Uh, I, don't even, I don't even really know what that means. I, you know, if I'm going to be, if I've got to admit, I don't either. So sure, uh, sure I don't, I don't know about all them kids on the TikTok. I don't know how it works, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. a likely story. You bring it up. You're like, I know. I don't know. What's what is TikTok? <laughs> is it like being, have you heard Britney Spears' new album? I don't even know who Britney Spears is, but I, the name that came to mind for me. Some people say it's good, but I wouldn't know. <laughs> is that even a singer? Is he a comedian? I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you find us online, 1160hope.com, and uh, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we're grateful for those of you who do do podcasts. Before we uh, jump into this audio, uh, did you see that Ben Stiller's dad, Jerry Stiller, died over the night? Overnight with I uh, did man. That, that guy made me laugh. That guy made me laugh so, so much funny. on Seinfeld. And he was uh, he was like ninety two, right? Right. So natural causes, all that. Yeah, that's nice, man. Oh, man. He made me laugh so much, too. What a what a funny guy. He he, he kind of like represents an era in my mind. Absolutely. If, you, if you've ever laughed at the Seinfeld Festivus joke, you have Jerry Stiller to uh, to thank yes. for that. Right. Frank yes. Costanza, uh, the Festivus for the rest of us. So, mm-hmm. um, well, at the uh, there was a tweet uh, going around that uh, I think you and I got it from Dan Ehrman uh, here at the station. Uh, from Charlie Dates. Charlie Dates, a well-known pastor here in the city of Chicago. And uh, Dates was talking about sin. This was at the Jude 3 Project. So I want you all to hear uh, what Dates had to say. I think this is like two or three minutes. Uh, and then we will react to it. If you don't believe in sin, that's the clearest evidence that sin has its hold on you. Mm. Sin is an old word. It's a word people don't like. In fact, a lot of people only like to relegate sin to corporate systemic social issues. And it is there. But the reason sin is in the corporate social systemic levels is because it's in the individual first. 
Mm-hmm. We are affected by sin. And then we become in charge of systems and we create systems and we uh, elongate the impact of systems and we run governments and we hurt people. The, the world is messed up, not because God is messed up. The world is messed up because we messed up. And part of the reason we messed up is because our first parents decided to disobey God. And so sin enters the world. And sin is not just the bad things we do. Sin is the disease that we are born with. It it creates a disposition that is alien toward God and that is that is defiant toward God. It affects all of who we are. And so God, in his loving kindness, um, didn't just end the world. He didn't just end the world. He could have. Uh, but but in his goodness and his kindness, he lets us still in dominion, that is humanity, operate in the earth. But because he's so marvelous and he's so good, he superintends what we do so that he can work in our decisions to guide human history in the direction he wants it to go. So although I cannot say and and I would not be so bold as to say this pandemic was arranged by God. I don't know. I'm not God. I can say that it was allowed by God. And whatever God allows or arranges, in that he also accompanies his children. You you hear Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, don't don't let this don't let this happen. There, there's any other way we could do this, Father, let's do it a different way. You hear Jesus on the cross saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus could ask why, you and I can too. All right, man, there's some people that I just love to hear preach and love to hear speak. Increasingly, Charlie Dates is one of them. What did you think about this clip and what he had to say? Okay, so I'll start with the positives. How about that? I would love it. Before I get contrary, I'll start with the positives. Um, So the idea, and again, maybe this isn't a positive. This is more of a, hmm, the premise that if you don't believe in sin, that's the clearest sign that it has a hold on you. Couldn't you, couldn't you make that argument about anything? Like if you don't believe in this, that's, that's the clearest sign that you have it, that you, right. Isn't that, is that technically a logical fallacy? I'm not sure. Either way. um, I see what you're saying. I get it. Yeah. And again, not trying to be, uh, not trying to poke holes. I, I think, I think dates is phenomenal by the way. And I think, the city of Chicago is better because he's in it. But the, the idea that, I mean, do we really have to convince anybody that the world's messed up? <laughs> Especially now. Right. Like, it just feels like that that's on full display right now. And um, I, I appreciated some of the perspective regarding like God's, God's posture towards us when we mess up or the world is messed up. I, I, I certainly did appreciate that. It, it, it would depend on whether or not you subscribe to the doctrine of original sin. If that, whole component was compelling to you or not that's maybe a segment for another day but um overall i i appreciate it i'm grateful for dan sending it our way this idea and we could pull this out from a lot of different places uh in our world but he said it shouldn't mess it shouldn't um surprise us uh that our systems are messed up again because they are made by sinful people i think is always helpful right like i think about churches uh, we like to think that we have the perfect churches and then we're surprised when there's problems in the churches or people do that. And you're like, well, churches ultimately are made up by uh, <laughs> people who uh, who who sin and who fall and, or who are fall in. And by God's grace, he continues to work uh, through the churches. 
that last point he made about uh, that God didn't cause this pandemic, but obviously he allowed it and is working through it uh, while we're going through it. You and I, we've talked almost ad nauseum about this, but I still think we can't talk about it enough. Why is that such an important um, perspective to have in the midst of this pandemic that we're in the midst of? Well, a couple of things. One, I actually was kind of surprised when he mentioned uh, how often or how easily we talk about the sin of like systems and structures, but how rarely we talk about it like at an individual level. To me, in my experience, that's almost reversed where we almost. Is that right? Yeah, we almost, that's not been your experience. I feel like I way more often hear people talk about our individual sin and way less frequently do I hear. I mean, you know, we were talking about Walter Wink's The Powers That Be. He, he talks a lot about the sin of infrastructures and systems and uh, organizations that perpetuate the fall, perpetuate simple behavior, perpetuate exploitation of the marginalized, things like that. I, maybe that's just like an upbringing thing or an experience thing. When he said that, I thought, oh, that's interesting. I, I've had almost the polar opposite experience. Where everything is highly individualized. And it's just about me and my sin and how can I take care of my sin problem as opposed to you know, a community or a system. Yeah. Uh, but we have also talked about how important it is to, to be clear, and I think we've been pretty clear on this show that at, at least Brian and I, we don't subscribe to any theological construct that uh, presupp- presupposes that God's like sent Corona to lead us back to him, that this was this is somehow some kind of punishment from him. And the end result will hopefully be a lot of people turning to him. I, I just don't. We could probably talk about that at length, too, if we wanted to. But uh I feel like I see less and less of that in the mainstream, to be honest. I don't think a lot of people subscribe to that particular brand of doctrine. Maybe they do. Are you encountering people that like really still are holding fast and hard to like, nope, this is this is from God. This is our punishment for the behaviors of our culture or or do you see less of that? Uh, I think I'm seeing uh, it looks different now. I don't know what your Facebook posts have been like or what you're seeing in people. I'm seeing more and more not that God did this to punish us, uh, but more and more God did. God sent this because he's ending the world, (laughs) right? Like it's all coming to an end. Either way, it was sent to us by God is what you're saying for a purpose. Right. And and there's just and so uh, but I do think it's so important as we have been talking to say that. Our world is is messed up, as Charlie Date said. Sin has bro is broken. There's brokenness, uh, but that God doesn't abandon us, and I think that's so important because it determines whether you blame and sh- uh, shake a fist at God and run away from Him, or you're or you're drawn to Him to say that God is uh, He is still present, He is still active, even in the midst of this struggle. I think is so imperatively important because otherwise. You know, if God's just hurling bad things at us just to get our attention, uh, that says a lot of bad things about God that that we have to be very careful about. So this is one of those spots where uh, theology matters. So we're grateful for Charlie Dates. Hopefully someday we'll be able to have him on the show uh, and all the good work he's doing here in Chicago. Well, coming up next, uh, I want to talk about uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary that was on last night. And uh, some questionable, uh, some questions about leadership in it. That's going to be next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. 
Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're really glad that you're joining us today. Uh, you can continue the conversation with other listeners, other podcasters. You can do that on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can join us on Twitter at Common Good Talk, uh, on Instagram also at Common Good Talk. Uh, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, and Ian, one of the things that we like to do uh, is to highlight organizations and businesses, uh, people that we think are doing really good work that we believe in. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that one of those organizations uh, is Thrivent Financial. So Ian, why don't you tell us again some more about Thrivent Financial? Yeah, I hope you all are sitting down. <laughs> I am. Are you? Great. Here we go. I've been a Thrivent member for like seven or eight years. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. It's a Fortune 500 not-for-profit, which is pretty rare, apparently. They've also been around for like more than 100 years, which is also rare. But one of the things I appreciate about them is their general Christian posture towards money and finance, which is super rare. That's actually it's really, really painfully hard to find. So uh, Thrivent.com is where you can go to learn more about Thrivent. Thrivent.com slash careers. If you're considering a career change, now might be a really, really good time to check them out. Also, they've been providing a bunch of really great webinars, and there's one happening tomorrow, May 12th, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard, and it's five things you can do to stay productive and manage stress while working remotely. That is, that's a question that we've been hearing from a lot of people. Right. This webinar, I think, is going to be phenomenal. It features uh, Lindsay Bacardo. Uh, she is just brilliant, and I think that you'll be really, really grateful for carving out some time to care for yourself. So that's on our Facebook page. You can also go to Thrivent member network Chicagoland region or go to thriving.com to learn more. Well done. It's good to hear about thriving. It is a great organization that we would encourage you to be a part of. So uh, last night, episode seven and eight of the last dance, the Michael Jordan and the 1998 Chicago bulls documentary uh, on uh, ESPN. It has been phenomenal. And uh, I know you said you haven't been able to watch it because it's not out on Netflix or where you could watch it. Right. Um, you will want to see it when the day comes. Your love of basketball, but more so your love of documentaries, as we have uh, documented over the last year. Mm. Nobody watches more documentaries in my life than you. So, Oh, um, that's true? That is 100% true. How many times have we talked where you're like, I was watching this documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't And I love documentaries. I, 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 am, I admire that about you. So I don't even um, feel like I watch that many of them, but I, I will right? gladly take that title. I will take it. You have it. You have that crown. Great. Uh, so I've been watching all of the episodes. It's weird to be watching them live, like as they're going on, be watching them where you have to sit through the commercials, uh, but, but, but been watching them with my son. And that's been really fun uh, to watch him kind of learn about Michael Jordan and the Bulls from the early 90s and the late 90s. And uh, so we watched episode seven and eight. Last night might have been the two best episodes so far because it really dealt with uh, it dealt with Michael Jordan's first retirement. It dealt with his father's death. It dealt with him playing baseball. But then it dealt with his leadership style. And that's what I want to dive into. So, Ian, I'm going to read you some quotes of what Michael Jordan said in the documentary. Uh, and I want you to kind of think about these in terms of uh, church work and ministries Okay. Uh, and leadership in general. So here we go. Michael Jordan said this when pushed in the documentary about his leadership style. He said, look, winning has a price and leadership has a price. 
So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. And I earned that right because my teammates who came after me didn't endure all the things I endured. Once you joined the team, you lived a certain standard that I played the game. And I wasn't going to take anything less. Now, if that means I had to go in there and uh, get on you a little bit, then I did that. You ask all my teammates, the one thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something uh, that he didn't do. When people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. No, well, that's you because you never wanted anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win to be part of that as well. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't uh, play that way. And after saying this, this is how episode seven ends. Michael Jordan begins tearing up and he calls for a break and gets out of his chair as the credits roll. Uh, so it, this was a fascinating picture uh, into the leadership style, if you will, of the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, and how he led the Bulls as kind of the one who set the tone. Uh, let's take this broadly, and then we'll dig, we'll dig down into more kind of church work. Um, what do you think of just in general about hearing that of Michael Jordan's leadership philosophy? I mean, we're we're in Chicago here. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, there's parts of it. That, you know, gets my heartbeat racing. Like, yeah, let's go get him. All right, Jordan. Yeah, I'll follow that kind of leader. But there's a a whole other part of my brain that thinks that's a pretty toxic way to lead people. There's there's some uh, other comments in there. And again, I don't want to totally dissect, you know, one interview piece when you talk about like, hey, that's just who I am. I've, I've heard that in other circles and circumstances to excuse pretty awful behavior like, hey. Just uh, accept me as I am, which is, again, like a logical fallacy. Like me accepting you as you are means that I can't also call you on stuff that maybe is toxic to you and to others. Obviously, Jordan's the GOAT, right? Like he's just, just the greatest. And and Absolutely. there's re- reasons for that. Um, I do think if you're asking at how it pertains to church work, um, <laughs> yeah. w- winning is not – I mean, maybe it's just different scoreboards, but – there is a part of me that does sometimes lament how many church leaders look more like this than Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus wasn't driven and focused and probably said really tough truths. I would guess maybe even at times when people heard them, they thought, well, that wasn't very nice. Like I, I'm sure there's some similarities here, but I always want to like, and again, my construct of Jesus, my understanding of Jesus is informed by my environment and the time that I was raised and born in the West and as a white man, like all of that plays into it, obviously. Um, but there, yeah, there's certainly stuff here that I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage like a pastor or a church leader to adopt wholesale as sort of like a stylistic approach. And there might be people out there going, well, of course, a pastor is not going to be like this, like a difference between Michael oh, Jordan, the basketball are. player. And there are differences. But I say that almost to set this up. We, Without using names, this happens a lot in the church world. People may not realize it, or they do realize it all too, all too personally. They've been a part of it. But you and I have seen this kind of leadership in the church world a lot, and it really gets uh, gets results and often gets applauded. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah, 
That's because I think we are, and and whole squad was talking about this. Fitch has talked about this. Dan White Jr. is writing a lot about this. Um, when we make quote results our highest aim, and we wrap it in a spiritual blanket to excuse behavior, right? Because when we talk about, you know, what was the adage in the eighties and nineties? It was winning souls. You don't hear a lot of preachers nowadays necessarily using huh. that phrase, but we've adapted the language. And when it becomes about saving people, well, there is a subtle justification for any methodology. And I, I think that our our method needs to be as pure as the ends we seek. And for us to just simply like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna win them however we have to, even if even if it means being an absolutely terrible person to do so, I think that that again is a logical fallacy that we set things in the perspective of eternity and we justify behavior that I think maybe otherwise is not how Jesus calls us to conduct ourselves, which is tricky because obviously, you know, everyone has their own wiring and their own personality types. And some people are drawn to that more than others. I'm not saying we need to all just be welcome mats. That's often been the kind of the counterbalance is like, Jesus would never say anything that didn't offend people. It's like, no, Jesus was offending people all the time and saying really, really intense, difficult truths, calling religious people dogs and broods of vipers. Like those weren't, nice church things either. So let's not, let's not over categorize or caricaturize Jesus into either of those extremes. Right. It was interesting. Many of Jordan's teammates last night in the documentary, like you said, had that uh, we didn't really enjoy playing with him because he was so driven and bullying at times, uh, but we won, but we won. Right. And that we've seen that seep into the churches at times, right? Well, I don't really respect that leader, but we quote unquote win our church is right. growing or right. we have this influence. And I, I would agree with you that that is dangerous. Uh, notwithstanding Michael Jordan, the goat, the greatest basketball player of all time, but it, it does raise some questions about leadership style and do the ends justify the means either in basketball or in church work or whatever else uh, that was kind of raised last night in the last dance. Well, coming up next, We're going to end the show the way we end every show with interweb insanity. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And that music can only mean one thing. It means we are taking our jobs into our hands here. We uh, We are taking that risk that is interweb insanity Uh, where we read stories from uh, the internet that have been brought to us by our executive producer, Keith Conrad. And neither of us have seen these before reading it. Uh, Ian, I don't know why I feel a little nervous today. I feel like Keith has had the weekend to kind of get these, kind of store these up a little bit. I think we might be in for some, uh, some struggle today. Brian, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. Okay. So don't, (laughs) but Keith has, (laughs) don't give up. All right. Well, that's, that's a, that's an adequate addendum. (laughs) Okay. Well, why don't you start? I think the first one's out of Tennessee. All right, Tennessee. Two arrested after flipping tables at Kingsport Applebee's when bartender announced last call. This is going to involve alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Two men were arrested after flipping tables at an Applebee's in Kingsport. Why does the first sentence always just repeat the headline? It just did, yeah. Oh, boy. According to reports from the Kingsport Police Department, Derringer Barton, that just sounds like a dude who flips tables at Applebee's, by the way. And so does the next name. And Blakely Marsh. Yep. That, those are the new <laughs> Dukes of Hazard. Of my, uh, were arrested Saturday night in the parking lot of the Applebee's on Eastone Drive. Tell me they weren't with their mothers, by the way. 
The reports say officers arrived at the restaurant around 10.45 p.m. after receiving calls about customers flipping tables. When officers pulled into the parking lot, they saw a man later identified as Marsh getting in a black pickup truck and employees chasing him and pointing at the truck. Officers pulled over the truck outside the restaurant and spoke with Barton, who was driving. The report says Barton was asked to get out of the truck and appeared to be unsteady and have bloodshot eyes and slurred speech, blah, 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 blah. The report says the bar manager told the officers that Barton Marsh had become upset when the last call for alcohol was announced and the two began flipping tables in the restaurant. Hey, you, let's fight. Them's fighting words. All right, next one's out of Nebraska. Semi overturns, scattering cows outside liquor store. Actually saw a video of this. Uh, The crash happened Thursday night outside Lucky Joe's Liquor. Uh, Neelai police told Channel 8 Eyewitness News the driver suffered minor injuries. Of the 31 cattle inside, uh, three were found dead when officers arrived and four others had to be put down due to their injuries. The semi did not hit the liquor store, but some debris caused minor damage. Neelai police said there have been several accidents at the same curve over the last 15 years. Police said the accidents have been the result of drivers not paying attention uh, to posted signage in the area. I gotta go, Julia. We got cows. I just love that something so unlucky happened in front of an establishment called Lucky Joe's. Like that. Just, who who <laughs> thought nice. through that branding? All right, this one's out of India. Uh, deer crashes through roof into family's home. Oh, it's so cute, though. Look at it. Whoa. A deer that ran into the roof ran onto the roof of a home to escape a pursuing leopard in India. Okay. That's an example of a sentence. <laughs> I'll never, I'll never experience firsthand a deer that ran onto the roof of a home to escape a pursuing leopard in India, crashed through the roof into the home, waking its sleeping residents. Terrifying. Juan Sharma, founder of the Reskink Association for Wildlife Welfare, that's appropriate, said the deer is believed to have been fleeing from a leopard in Hawaii just before 1.30 a.m. A resident contacted RAWW, which is also rar. <laughs> Which responded alongside <laughs> personnel from the Mumbai range of the forest department. The rescuer said the deer appeared shaken by the experience, but appeared calm inside the home. Oh, a deer! A female deer. So it appeared calm inside the home because the leopard yeah, I was gonna say, it falling through the roof was not the worst thing to happen to the deer that day. And that would have been, the family would have been a little more jarred if the leopard had also yeah, come down Yeah, that was the thing. The roof, I, now so. there's a hole in the roof and the leopard's like, nah, no, no thanks. No, I yeah, could find myself another deer. Uh, Oh Another one out of Tennessee. Bear breaks into Tennessee cabin, steals snacks, drink, drinks, oh, and gosh. allergy pills. A group of vacationers captured photos and video when a bear broke into their Tennessee rental cabin and made off with candy, beer, Diet Coke, and allergy pills. Michelle Eberhardt said she and a friend noticed some bears outside their Gatlinburg rental cabin while their husbands were out golfing. She just started pointing, and I was like, what? And so I turned and looked, and there's a bear just putting his full force on the door. And then the door opened. Ebenhart said the bear forced its way through the locked door, causing the two women to flee into a bedroom. They then said the bear rifled through their cabin with three, while three more bears waited on the porch. They got five pounds of Reese's peanut butter cups, a pound of M&M's, two pounds of Sour Patch Kids, Two bags of potato chips, two beers, two Diet Cokes, and about 20 Zyrtex. I'm not going to lie. That sounds like a party. Hey, boo-boo. Let's see what we got in this picnic basket. <laughs> yes. it's like, it's like, That's a lot of food scary, they had though, in that place. Bears? Have you been reading my journal? My goodness. All right. Oh, this is appropriate. Last but not least, Michigan, America's high five. Oh, we can't high five right now. 
America's no. America's distant five. five. Woman armed with frying pan attacks boyfriend, slashes tire with butcher knife. Yeah, this sounds, sounds like Mother's like Day weekend. A woman was arrested early Thursday morning after attacking <laughs> her boyfriend with a frying pan and stabbing his car tire with a butcher knife. Officers were called shortly after 1.30 a.m. May 7th to a home in the 200 block of West Middle Street in Chelsea for a domestic disturbance after someone called 911. Officers arrived at the home and found a man with a head wound in the backyard. Holy cow. Who said he was attacked by his living girlfriend during an argument. The man says girlfriend armed with a frying pan and butcher knife hit him over the head multiple times with the pan and used the knife to stab one of his car tires during the argument. She's terrifying. All right, Michigan, thanks for ending us strong here today. Of all the ones to end with. Why, how, are the, how are the order of that these determined is what I want to know. I know. We should have ended with the cute deer in the, in the, the uh, house the in bear India. At the party. <laughs> That's right, the bear party. Well, we're glad you joined us today. We hope you join us again tomorrow and all this week from 4 until 6 p.m. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.